0: Hello, listeners. Welcome to another special episode of Cognitive Dissidence. As usual, I'm your host. I'm Jacob Shapiro. I'm the director of geopolitical analysis at Cognitive Investments. If you are listening to this on the Perch Pod channel. A reminder, we are only gonna be posting on the Perch Pod channel through the end of August. You need to go sign up for the Cognitive Dissidence Podcast if you want access to our podcast after August, and if you want access to all the extra episodes that we're doing. So I'm doing a weekly chat with Rob Larity on geopolitics and markets. We're gonna start doing some deep dive, long-form narrative podcasts as well, and then these expert conversations that you've become used to. If you're listening to us on cognitive dissidence, just one small request from you, please leave a rating or a review of this podcast it helps us immensely Um, i really appreciate dr jacek bartishak who is the chief executive officer and founder of strategy and future uh, for joining us on a last minute invite on the podcast he's the author of a number of best-selling books uh, in poland about geopolitics he is to my mind um, really the top geopolitical strategist in poland Um, i really really appreciate him making time for this we're publishing this on monday We recorded this on Friday afternoon New Orleans time. It was around 11 o'clock midnight in Warsaw time. Jacek obviously has been very busy um, in Poland doing a lot of different things and advising a lot of different actors on the conflict there. So we are incredibly appreciative of him for coming on the podcast and making time. I think we'll also be cross-posting this on the Strategy and Future podcast. So if you happen to be hearing my voice, I appeared on a Strategy and Future podcast about six to eight weeks ago, I think. And... I'm happy to return the favor and have Jacek come on our podcast. So without any further ado, Jacek, thank you again for coming on. Listeners, we hope you enjoy this episode. Cheers. Stay safe. We will see you out there. Cognitive Investments LLC is a registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Cognitive and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. For additional information, please visit our website at www.cognitive.investments. The information provided is for educational and informational purposes only and does not constitute investment advice and it should not be relied on as such. It should not be considered a solicitation to buy or an offer to sell a security that does not take into account any investor's particular investment objectives, strategies, tax status, or investment horizon, you should consult your attorney or tax advisor. The views expressed in this commentary are subject to change based on market and other conditions. This podcast may contain certain statements that may be deemed forward-looking statements. Please note that any such statements are not guarantees of any future performance, and actual results or developments may differ materially from those projected. Any projections, market outlooks, or estimates are based upon certain assumptions and should not be construed as indicative of actual events that will occur. Um, jacek it is it is late in warsaw and i really appreciate you making some time to talk to me there was nobody else i wanted to talk to about what's going on in the russia ukraine war this week so we're glad to have you
1: yeah thank you for having me and just to be even more precise it's a friday evening so you know sort of we i feel like we are having a beer or something and discuss those things it's a very warm evening in in june Junes in Warsaw and Poland are really great. The the best moments of an entire year, Hmm. which sometimes is really demanding, so to speak. So it's, you know, that's the best moment, the best timing
0: for to talk to you. Okay, well, great. Um, Well, look, let's get straight to it. Um, I have not been particularly worried that the Russia-Ukraine war was going to spill out of Russia and Ukraine until this week and until the news that Lithuania had shut down some of the Russian goods going into Kaliningrad and that Russia got very, very strident and very, very aggressive and threatening that if Lithuania didn't take down those controls that they were going to defend their national security interests, whatever the heck that means. Um, so I guess the first thing I wanted to ask you is um, what what do you think of, of the Kaliningrad situation? Do you think this is a potential escalatory moment where this goes beyond Ukraine and into NATO? Is this, is Russia picking a fight, a rhetorical fight that it knows it can't win? Um, h- how are you reacting immediately to what's going on with the Kaliningrad situation?
1: Yeah, before I before I uh, move into this territory, I, mm-hmm. I, I'd like to, to mention to, to you and to your audience that I was afraid about spillover effect mm-hmm. quite early in the war. There was one moment when President Biden came over to Warsaw he gave a speech on the main square near the Royal Palace in Warsaw. I was there listening to him, standing like 30 meters from him, mm. and I was a little bit disappointed because he didn't convey the proper strategic signaling that uh, the stakes are equal between the United States and Poland, which seems, of course, natural that they are not equal. But if you have a war next to you with, you know, against nuclear power and they are sort of not making... Progress uh, towards Kiev, and you deliver weapons through Poland. You are afraid that they might try to sort of uh, shut off the, the, you know, the the staging area high and the uh, also the communication lines leading actually only from Poland into Ukraine, because otherwise uh, other routes are shut off by you know destroying bridges or uh, any other mm-hmm. connectivity uh, hubs by Russians. So. That was the moment I was afraid, and that was, you know, sort of even consolidated by the fact that Biden didn't deliver a strong message to the Russians that the stakes are equal but between the United States and Poland in handling this thing. That, that was my assessment. But apparently I was wrong, because nothing happened. So I don't know whether I should write, talk, I, I should, you know, say my opinion about the current situation, but I'll do my best.
0: Well, whole I, I just want to say it, it's not exactly clear that you were wrong yet. I think we still have some time before it I appears understand. if you were wrong or not. So,
1: true. Yeah. So um, this is potentially this thing with the you know with the uh, transit through Lithuania is a potentially escalatory thing. First of all, in a broader context, the Russians in the Kaliningrad are running out of the energy resources and maybe other commodities. The situation is very volatile in Kaliningrad. For, you know, for for, for English speakers, for the global audience, Kaliningrad is an enclave squeezed between Lithuania and Poland on the Baltic coast. And uh, it's like a fortress, but without the strategic depth that threatens Poland and Lithuania at the same time, but if it's not resourced properly, it's a trap for the Russian forces and the actually Russian state. So the Russians, uh, Ru- Russians' concern is delivering supplies to the Kaliningrad and the Lithuanians cut it off. I mean, cut it off. They, there was, you know, as always this fog of war, <laughs> because we are at war. Functionally, we are at war here. The intermarium countries are at war with Russia. We deliver heavy weapons in really great numbers to ukrainians Uh, there is a a practical alliance of the intermarium countries to 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 stop russians so this might be escalatory and uh, i don't share your sort of suggested or at least implied optimism at least this is what i was reading from from your words Mm -hmm. that you know russia couldn't you know go against NATO, couldn't sort of probe NATO. I think that the Russians game is all about changing their security architecture. And what unfolded in the context of war in Ukraine showed the fracture of NATO. Uh, Apparently, Germans don't have the same interests as Poles and even Americans in the context of Ukraine. But that pertains to the broader context what is Russia for Europe? This is the most important questions of the current times. What is Russia for Europe? For Poles and Lithuanians, Russia should be out of the European system. For Germans, it should be within the European system because this is a lever of power that Germany is accumulating in both in terms of the balancing and energy and also great Eurasian game that I think continental Europe- Europeans begin to play a little bit. Or at least began to flirt with this idea when they were seeing the relative decline of the united states over the last couple of years and this all is all important if you try to answer the question about Kaliningrad. so this might be a good excuse to do some action against lithuanians especially that would not trigger article 5 at all because you know nobody wants to have a war with russia plus there was, there were some sort of at least alleged humanitarian reasons to do this action because those, you know, horrible Lithuanians didn't let them in, didn't <laughs> let them through. So you know, the, you can build up a story that would be a good excuse not to trigger Article Five and fracture the, uh, undermine solidarity under the NATO uh, treaty. And this is a great risk. This is a great risk for Poland and NATO Eastern, uh, Eastern flank countries. If you ask me about what Poles would do if, and how they could approach, should approach the Kaliningrad thing is, I, I, I think that uh, increasingly there is a feeling in Warsaw that in case we have war with Russia, the Poles should really field capabilities of fire maneuver into Kaliningrad also forward positions in Lithuania to, f- to offensively flank any movement out of the Kaliningrad, from Lithuania into Kaliningrad, from the Poles, town of Mariampol, perfect tank terrain. And maybe Poles should be forward deployed into Lithuania to, to threaten this movement. And also that there should be you know, contingency planning to seize Kaliningrad in case there is a, a major war, like war at the scale of Russia against Ukraine. To you know, to sort of, you know, to to sort of make the Russians, you know, the hostage of the situation in a way that they should think twice whether to do anything against Poland and Lithuania and other, you know, countries on the NATO Eastern flank.
0: We yeah. can go we're, into we're, operational we're,
1: details, but you know, th- this is this is important to understand, and that would change the strategic culture of Poland and strategic restraint of the last thirty years. Yeah, that I, we exercised.
0: We're we're eight and a half minutes in and Yatik, we already need more than than one beer for the for the <laughs> the, the, the heaviness of I'm the sorry. conversation. I'm so, I'm, yeah, no, I'm don't sorry. don't you, you shouldn't apologize at all. I'm just I'm just saying I'm glad it's Friday night and I'm glad that we're able to to kick back a little bit. I, I wanted to ask you, because there's some things I want to pick at in what you said, but the the first thing I, I wanna ask you to define for for my listeners, because a lot of the listeners here are not gonna know the terrain particularly well. Um I thought you just might also make this a little bit more real for the listeners by explaining to them a little bit about, you sort of alluded to it with the perfect tank terrain, but tell us about the the Suvalki gap. Tell us why Politico has called this the most dangerous place in the world. T- tell us why this particular set of terrain around Kaliningrad is so critical and has the, co- the capability to create the kind of existential issues that you're tracing out here.
1: Yeah, you know, if we are, you know, uh, in agreement with this sort of the opinion that wars break out because of miscalculations and misjudgments, uh, meaning that they, they are, you know, sort of initiated by strategic blunders. Unfortunately, Sovalki gap and the terrain around Kaliningrad and what Kaliningrad creates in terms of strategic dilemmas is a per, is a perfect example of this horrible sort of development you know occurring without any intention the the first reason you mentioned you know the uh, kaliningrad is an island land island that you know you need to deliver supplies to kaliningrad of course you can do it by sea but basically right now Russians can't control the Baltic Sea so they they are vulnerable they might think we could sink them so the Russians are in a you know very much concerned so this already ups the game the second thing is that because there is civilian population in Kaliningrad and they need resources if they are cut off resources so there is a, a huge room for playing the game diplomatic game game of ambiguity who is at fault here? That those poor people of the Kaliningrad can get supplies, because Lithuanians and Poles are blockading the access. So the Russians may demand the exterritorial route, the extraterritorial highway leading to it, access to it. Yeah, and because of this humanitarian aspect, there might be a conviction in the Western European countries that. The Russians should be appeased some, somewhat, okay? And there shouldn't be too much fuss about it. There should, uh, and for sure, there should be any war over that. And that already breaks solidarity under Article 5. And let alone if Russians made any move, like, you know, paratroopers or quick action into Kaliningrad through Lithuania or through Suvauki Gap, I'll explain in a minute what exactly this Suvalki Gap means. Mm hmm. Then, you know, the um, and they may do some fait accompli showing that they are the masters of the security issues, security architecture in this part of the world, but without triggering Article 5, you know, solidarity it takes time to have solidarity, you know, political, military assets. You know, it's not so easy to trigger Article 5 against a nuclear power like Russia, especially <laughs> if you know you can always say, yeah, that was a bit that was not a big thing, like you know, two companies, paratroopers let's not make a noise about it, you know, we Germans, let's, let, you know... And judging how the Germans are behaving towards the uh, issues of you know, of Ukraine, I'm telling you, here in the Intermarium countries, nobody believes the Germans anymore. And I think the EU will, ha- will have to- hard time after the war of substantiating its existence, because for the countries here, the the you know the war in ukraine is of the most vital interest the most vital issue for for us
0: can can i can i stop and ask you i mean the germans one of the reasons the germans are such weenies is because they don't have a military and they don't have a military because there would be other problems maybe in the intermarium countries of germany didn't have a military i wonder though is is what you're saying does that also apply to france because France is the one with the military, it seems to me here, and is the one that could actually make a difference. Are you really saying that you don't think any of Western Europe no. would respond if Russia did something we like this? Here in,
1: here in Central Eastern Europe, we don't believe that France has any substantial capabilities to project substantial power into this part of the world against Russia. Mm-hmm. Not not to mention that they wouldn't have too much of the interest to do so. Uh, I, you know... It's a real war here, you know, I mean, and France don't have land army that can face it, Mm. especially and sustain it for a long period of time against a great power. Uh, I think it's a, you know, it's a fake proposition. So uh, incredible. I mean, there is no credibility Mm. if you take a look at the uh, capabilities. And this is a very sober assessment, and that that also adds to the anxiety about the you know NATO as a sort of a solid alliance in that respect. And you know all those calls by by Macron and Charles, and you know all those meetings and all these appeals to have some sort of a truce doesn't add credibility at all because the intermarium countries want to finish Russians. We want to win this war. Okay, we don't want to have Senate truce, We want to win. We want the Ukrainians to win. We want to finish the Russian imperial project for good. And we are in this 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 time around. It's not just lip service, because polls are delivering really big stuff, big ticket to to Ukrainians. You know, we, we keep them going. Actually, we keep them going.
0: what are your what are your feelings about the prospect for victory do you think that's realistic
1: and you know here kicks in the you know the question how we define victory you know and Mm. whether you mean the military victory or as we call in polish in the polish strategic culture it's not enough to even win militarily you also need to win the peace Mm. and that's even more difficult in this particular case and also militarily it's increasingly more difficult so uh, there, there, there would need to be a few requirements met by the Ukrainians, a few conditions occurring, fulfilled for the, you know, to, 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 for the Ukrainians to be capable of winning. But in terms maybe politically and strategically, the Russians have not already succeeded, but still they can maintain this, the great power status an influence on the security in europe and that was the main objective of the war and we need to deprive them of this objective simply by proving that they are not a great power and they are not a great military so they cannot influence security architect- architecture in europe it's a zero sum game it's very easy and i mean it's very simple not easy it's very simple but not easy <laughs> so uh, uh that's what it looks like, even if it looks grim. And and Germans and Fr- French are shocked that the intermarium countries are looking at this through at this, through this you know, angles, through, th- through this, these lands. Plus, they dare to deliver weapons to make it happen. This is, I mean, this is like a Boston Tea Party multiplied by 10. You know, it's like they are beyond, as it's beyond their perceptions that, you know, those folks here are really running their own strategic agenda and supported by those crazy Americans coming, you know, from far away across the ocean, trying to sort of stir up things on the continent when everything was great, you know? There was energy cooperation, there was, mar- there was markets, there was stability, uh, you know, the Germans, you know, had all options on the table Cheap energy, open markets, stabilization of Eurasia with Russia, prospect of cooperation from to Lisbon, cheap labor in Central and Eastern Europe with no agenda run on their own. You know, and, and slowly but steadily, even though, you know, China deals were still great, you know, that was a perfect life and access to global markets thanks to the American hegemony. And, you know, and all those pieces are falling apart now. You know, and that—that's why I said that that would pose a serious, serious challenge to the European Union and its structure, and the power structure within the European Union. And you know, because as as we said at the beginning, we are just talking as if we were drinking a little bit of the beer on Friday night. <laughs> so I, I, of course, I dare, I, I, I permit myself to, to 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 venture into the lofty propositions or even you know, sort of the assessments, but, you know, that uh, that gives you the spirit, okay, of how people think here. And it's an honest uh, description, even if they don't disclose it openly to marginal conferences. Okay, that's, that's how uh, this w- looks from the perspective of the intermarium countries. And, you know, coming back to the issue of Kaliningrad, it doesn't have strategic depth. So it, it cannot form the proper staging area in case Russians decide to attack Poland. It might be only the secondary auxiliary axis of advance. It's very difficult to uh, attack from Karningrad into Poland because of the terrain. Mm-hmm. It's uh, if someone watched the, uh, the, the, the wolf's lair, you know, the, the Hitler's bunker in uh, Osprosia. Mm-hmm. this is the place. I mean you need to go towards the Hitler's bunker to get to Poland, so to speak. And this is heavy forested with thousands of lakes and narrow channels of communication. Swampy, boggy terrain is very difficult. You need to get to the Vistula River system and move along it. It's a long way to Warsaw. And there are many f- cities that could be fortified on the way. And, you know, there are many ways you can outflank Russia. So it's a difficult proposition for them. But you know we could use the, the fire maneuver into Kaliningrad easily from this terrain. So basically, if we feel the proper artillery pieces of a long range, we keep them hostage. That's as easy as it gets. And if you take a look at so, and Suwałki corridors to, to the right side of the Kaliningrad itself, and it's a channel, it's a narrow land corridor. Ben Hodges coined the term corridor as opposed to gap because it's more of the corridor he is right. So there is one railway and two, not even highways, I mean two roads leading to Lithuania. And this is the main strategic line of communication leading up to even Estonia. So this is how the NATO forces would need to deploy and keep logistics to keep the Baltic States fighting. And this is a very narrow, very vulnerable line of communication flanked from both sides from kaliningrad held by the russians and in the east from the grodno area from belarus which is of course the uh, the the russian you know proxy
0: minion i, th- th- I think we thing. can call belarus part of russia at this point right really... in terms
1: of the power projection capability in terms of the military dimension it is true so you can and you can you don't even need to flank it with maneuver you can flank it with a fire maneuver and uh, or special operation forces or some you know parties that venture into sort of cutting off the communication lines and this is already a a problem given the narrowness of, of this of this corridor and this has been for the last seven years as far as I remember the main concern of the Polish military because you know and within NATO we are sort of responsible to keep this corridor open to maintain the existence of the Baltic states in war, but it exposes if we put, if we keep too much of the military on uh, along this route, it exposes us not only to those flanking maneuvers and flan- fires from both Belarus and Kaliningrad, but it also it exposes Warsaw uh, because Warsaw is uh, si- sitting directly next to the Belarusian border on the flat. Perfect tank terrain, perfect tank terrain from Warsaw to the Smolensk Gate. There was a perfect tank terrain, uh, and in many wars in the history of Europe, the troops were moving fast. And you know, they stopped at the strategic barriers that were rivers. So, once you cross the Dnieper River and Berezina rivers, then you just land on Warsaw. So, that's it's very swift. Remember Bagration operation in 1944 or barbarossa even three years before that was the same the same terrain but you know in different directions so we were afraid since the uh, nato warsaw summit and it was in 2015 that we would be very much exposed and that's why the russians formed the first guards army in the smolensk gate to to have this pinning effect like remember Schwarzkopf left hook during the desert storm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the Russians started forming this First Guards Army to pin us down in defense of Warsaw and forget about helping keep the Suwałki gap, Suwałki corridor open. And that created strategic dilemmas for us and operational dilemmas because, we, you know, we don't have like three million strong military and we have some men divisions, so we need we had to di- divide forces and focus our attention on on our capital. And that created also the, the the dilemma within NATO, who's gonna be responsible for keeping this, you know, line of life open because Poles are scared about their capital city. And that puts a lot of put a lot of pressures pressure on Americans, because Poles demanded that I mean demanded requested that the American core tank corps should be should any be in Europe, mm-hmm. station east of Warsaw and keep Warsaw protected from First Guard's army. And remember those negotiations for Trump thing and stuff, remember? All this thing. So it was all about solving this operational and strategic dilemma for Poland. Mm-hmm. Uh, because otherwise we are afraid of losing Warsaw to to the attack that Russians devise against Kiev. Shock and awe attack, quick you know, that was meant to annihilate the political system from close approaches, from across the border, right to the, to the capital, before the world start reacting properly, right? And uh, so this is the, the meaning of the Kaliningrad uh, enclave. And one more sentence to it. So, you know, at Strategy in the Future, we were thinking we create this new model army operational concept as a proposition to discuss the major reform of the Polish military. And we were sort of thinking that if we put some maneuver brigades, tank brigades, in western Lithuania, close to the town of Mari- Mariupol, Mariampol, in a perfect tank terrain, we would be pinning down the Russians because they would be scared to move out of the Kaliningrad because otherwise we would move in from Physically move in with this tank tank brigade from Mariampol, at the same time keeping them at bay with our fire maneuver, and that was uh, that was the pro- a, a strategy in future. It's not an official statement by the government, just for for you folks to know that this is was the proposition of my team, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, that would change the game. And I keep I still think this was a very savvy proposition at that time.
0: Well, I mean, it also raises the question, though, so what is going to happen next? I mean, have you seen ev- any evidence that the Russians are gearing up to make an offensive move? Or is what you're saying that you think Poland should go ahead and make a preemptive move so that Russia doesn't even have the option? Where do you think we go from here uh, when it comes uh, to... That? Uh,
1: just just to, to, to clarify, I, I I bet and I'm sure, I'm confident that Poles will not make any preemptive move at all hmm. because we are within NATO alliance, we believe in NATO. Maybe sometimes we overly believe in NATO. For sure, that would put, if we do any such a preemptive action, I think that would unleash hell against Article 5. And also that would undermine uh, this, you know, sort of uh, alliance with the United States that wants to control the escalation process in the NATO Eastern Time. Plus, I think Polish military uh, at the moment is not, mentally capable of doing it after 30 years of strategic restraint but we are moving we're transitioning i mean this is major you know sometimes in life your mentality is transitioning right so this is what we're witnessing now in poland big big time by the way Mm. Uh, it's a it's a great moment to be a strategist during those times actually Uh, It's like, you know, (laughs) undusting old books of the old strategy, of the old state, of the old commonwealth, you know, our old commanders from the 16th and 17th centuries, Uh, reading them again and again and again, the same places. This This is really remarkable, you know, remarkable. After this slumber, after this nap, strategic nap, it's really a remarkable thing. And so we are waking up, we have we have GDP, we have money to field force. So and there is a consent among the society that we will field it. So the the the, the major debate is what it means to field a modern force and what a modern force means. And and that's a major debate between the new school that I represent a strategy in the future, because we believe that the battlefield has evolved and you know we need to move along along it. And the uh, old school. So I'm in the middle of a major fight here in Poland over, the, you know, which way to go. But uh, that's another topic. So, so this Kaliningrad thing is uh, is this potentially highly escalatory thing and politically very dangerous thing for sustaining the cohesion of NATO. So Poles will not make it, will not make any preemptive move, but the Russians may exploit. And I, I even am more, uh, not confident, but quite, um, you know, I, I, I'm not afraid too much about an escalation soon, but I think that if the Ukrainians do not win the war, there will be only a periodishka a resting p- a p- a period of time. In, in Russian, it's called periodishka I think Lenin coined this term as far as I remember. And after this resting period of time, the Russians will move again. Maybe not, you know, big scale land warfare as against Ukraine, because it will be against NATO. But so something under below the threshold of Article Five, some raids, some terror, even some uh, strike reconnaissance complex strikes, that would still be, you know. Veiled, yeah, that's 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 the word in English. Yep. Veiled in this sort of the uh, mystery of diplomatic, humanitarian, you know, game disputes, some excuses, some sort of even uh, provocations. Uh, the uh, crazy poles did something, so that there would be an ambiguity and nobody would know. The the, the, the the It will be a blurred picture, and still the Russians would position themselves and show them themselves, demonstrate themselves as a key factor, key actor in the security architecture in Europe. So th- they might initiate the destabilization campaign all along the Eastern Frontier because they didn't get what they wanted and the ultimatum that Wavrov provided in December 2021. That we are the we I want you to acknowledge that we are a great power and we will be deciding the key des- on the key decisions of Central and Eastern Europeans. And NATO, our infrastructure must must move west of the other river. And all other things are on the table with us to discuss. So, you know, <laughs> this war in Ukraine is all, also the war about the Polish independence. And Lithuania, and even more, Lithuanians and Estonians and, and Latvians. It's It will also decide the future of Belarus. It will also decide the future of Romania and Moldova maybe georgia and it will decide the future of russia major wars in the intermarium tend to decide the fates of all nations of the intermarium usually it was poland and russia that were you know waging this war and who was winning was deciding the fate of the nations of the intermarium we won Mm -hmm. in the 1920 they won during the second world war you know we were winning 15 times, they were winning four times. But, of course, four times they were winning big time and, you know, in the modern times, so that's why we, we were partitioned. But still, it was not so that they were winning all the time. And this time, it seemed at the beginning that Ukrainians might be winning. And this time, that our brethren in Ukraine might be winning. And, you know, Jacob, a miracle ha- happened. Once we saw that they defended the K- Kiev, so all stories of the old intermarium, old Commonwealth, re, re, resurfaced mm. in Poland. Polish president came to, went to Kiev, had a speech in the parliament. President Zawinski, you know, in in in, in you know in a, as a you know, sort of gave his speech after our president and it sounded like the old state you know just that was somebody if you live here you speak polish ukrainian you know you live in the neighborhood you understand each other it sounded like the old you know old unit is, after so many you know centuries is reappearing and we really keep them alive in war so uh And there is a consensus in Poland across the the nation to keep them alive. And we also took a few million refugees. And they are not in the refugee camps, Jacob. They are in our houses and apartments. You, You will not find any refugee camps at the border, no humanitarian crisis. They are living in our apartments. I, I, I was joking with a friend of mine, you know, with, with my associate at Strategy in the Future. He called me once, like, you know, a month ago, Jacek, Jacek, I, I need to sp- speak quietly, but I think I'm the only one, from all I know, that I didn't take any Ukrainians home. <laughs> and I said, and I said, how I feel, you know, do you think I'm bad? And I said, so I'm the second one, I'm the second one, but let's stay quiet, okay? <laughs> so th- this is sort of the, uh, the the mood here. And again, Pardon me for this, uh, you know, sort of informal uh, mood, but that was uh, that. That's a, that's a feeling, and uh, for, I'll give you an example. All Ukrainians, all Ukrainian citizens, were given the uh, the full access to all services that Polish citizens have in health, in hospitals, in social benefits. You know, if you have a kid. In Poland you get special benefits all Ukrainians got it automatically, okay? A few hundred thousand Ukrainian kids went to Polish schools overnight Okay I have daughters. So I you know suddenly in their classrooms They the Ukrainian kids appear uh, And you know and again as a, as a sign of solid, you know, sort of the, the new unity President Zawiński also announced in the Parliament that all Polish, all Polish citizens are <laughs> you know also allowed to use uh, Ukraine health service and you know all public services as Ukrainian citizens. so and even the President of Poland, a month ago, more than a month ago during a formal speech at the Royal castle, said that maybe we will see the days when there will be no border between Poland and Ukraine. So who knows what's gonna happen after this war in terms of so the military alliance. The security architecture has changed. This, the, you know, the security dilemmas have, uh, have really become very acute here. One more thing, Pol- Poland has started a major reform of the military and apart from the organizational aspect of it, our MOD went on this shopping spree, okay? So he took a, you know, book checkbook, yeah, that's what we say in English, Mm
0: -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: or a credit card, and is roaming around the world buying everything. South Korea, I don't, I don't know that,
0: I don't know that, like in a in another generation, the word checkbook will mean anything to Gen Z and all these other young kids. But for now, yes, we can call it a checkbook.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So um, South Korea, here we go. You know, tanks from South Korea, here we go. Tanks from US, here we go. Aircraft from South Korea, here we go you name it okay and uh, because we we have money so we're gonna feel the force the question of course is whether this is going to be a well-organized force you know against the proper enemy i mean properly defined enemy and proper terrain and in proper warfare that's another story but that requires a strategy culture and we have strategy in future as i said we're at the forefront of this major major debate in poland underway
0: can I ask, you said this sort of half jokingly, but um, I almost want to ask you about it. I mean, you've, you've talked about the Polish people taking Ukrainians into their homes. Um, why not, I mean, this would sort of defeat the purpose of maintaining Ukrainian sovereignty and independence, but why not welcome Ukraine into Poland in some kind of national union and get Ukraine into NATO through the back door? and declare Article Five that way. I mean, I'm, I'm sort of saying that as half of a joke, but I mean, is that something that Poland might consider? I mean, Poland is mm-hmm. is the country that knows better than anybody else what it's like to be carved up by Russia in a series of wars like this. Yeah, yeah I, I
1: know, but Pol- this is completely beyond, uh, not only imagination, but be- be- between be beyond any possibility. Poland will do nothing to... Limit sovereignty or infringe on territory of Ukraine. This is according to in current times, according to our grand strategy, and this is you know uh, completely impossible. I mean, it would not happen. So nothing wrong wrong will happen to Ukrainians from Polish hands at all. So
0: yeah, that's that's not what I meant. I more meant if you could have some kind of political union in name, could you somehow get Ukraine? I mean, the you know the Europeans, the Germans, and the French are talking about having Ukraine in in the EU. Uh, yeah. It would be better if you had Ukraine in NATO somehow so that you could go to the NATO countries and say, hey, like Ukraine is a part of Poland now. Like we, th- these are our people. We, we're all speaking the same language. I can go use health services in Kiev. We need to go protect these guys right now. I mean, like I say, it's it's half joking, but is there some it's, way to back them in
1: from that? It's perspective? half joking. Of course, it refers to the how Germans reunited in, a, in this clever way yeah. uh, that's using the same mechanism. But of course, it's uh, it's not. We are not that close as Germans from the east and from the you know west. Uh, Ukraine Ukrainians, of course, are a separate nation, speaking a separate language, uh, having not only their own ambitions but having their own pra- pra- pride, and for good reasons. And again, for for, for, for for those of our you know listeners in the west, you know they were part of the Soviet Union and they were quite a modern part of the soviet union those guys and they were building rockets and they went into space and those guys had nuclear weapons and those guys had submarines and those guys had you know <laughs> nuclear plants they 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 were the second most important republic in 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 soviet union and in some dimensions the most important so those guys and those guys have a great location. If they are not at war and they are not being sort of influenced too much by neighbors, they are in a perfect spot on the main north south axis of Europe, on the main west east axis in Europe, where Eurasian landmass ends and European peninsula begins. Uh, and they are in the best connectivity places for the Black Sea to the world and they control this the the soft underbelly of Russia of the Don and Volga river system if you control the Azov and the Crimea so and of course the Black Sea so technically speaking potentially Ukraine is a powerful prosperous state with a lot of minerals of the best soil you can have on earth yes by the way you to know if, if the ukrainians were allowed to do what they wish with their soil and export markets they would dominate the wheat production across the world so uh, this is what their soil d- d- does so the um, they have great great potentials and they uh, in the soviet union they they really had great achievements so and you know i'm 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 particularly conscious to to tell this because as you know, Poles used to have an, used to be an imperial power in this part of the world. I mean, sort of an empire. We we, we, used this, we had this land empire and we not always treated Ukrainians properly, so to speak. <laughs> so the, we had also civil wars with the Ukraine. And in the East, if you speak Polish, uh, Polish is a language of nobility, uh, even if you address the peasants. This is how you you choose the words. This is how you refer to each other. This is a language of nobility and gentry. And uh, sometimes, uh, you know, the the folks in the East, in our Eastern buffer zone, as we say, in Eastern Frontier, as we say in Polish, they think that we look down upon them. So, you know, we we, we need to be very careful with not patronizing, especially proud nation like Ukrainians Mm. that really are potentially powerful. Uh, and that would be a main sin of the polish grand strategy if we allow if we permit ourselves to to really embark on this sort of the patronizing mission Uh, i would i would it's a very uh, sorry for you know saying it three times but i i I would really like to admonish against going that path because you know the, the history is making is being made now And we need to simply create a new balance of power, a sort of a coalition that would be containing Russia from having influence on the European Peninsula affairs. And it's more like of the coalition or more of the the potential alliance of countries sharing the same perspective and without dominance of anybody at all. And especially Mm -hmm. my dear Poland, yeah? That's critically important to understand. Less of Poland, more of the uh, balancing coalition, more of the uh, sort of uh, groupings of countries that share the same destiny.
0: Yeah, that was well said. But again, also raises another question for me, and maybe this can be our last question because I don't want to keep you too long because we're talking about great nations and people that can participate in this alliance. Um, what about Turkey? Because isn't Turkey just sort of sitting there and sort of the one country that could really put that coalition in business and really hurt Russia where it counts? The, the Turks mm-hmm. seem to be very pragmatic. They have their own reasons to to be skittish about upsetting Russia. They import a lot of energy. They import a lot of food. Is Poland in touch with Turkey? Do you feel that Turkey can be a part of the solution? Is Turkey its own thing? How, how should we think about Turkey from that strategic perspective?
1: Yeah, that's a perfect question. Jacob, you know, the last year i was in the turkish embassy in warsaw and I had a meeting with a high official of, the, of this embassy and you know we, we disc we, we talked in english of course mm-hmm. and you know paul po- old commonwealth used to have multiple wars against the ottoman empire okay over ukraine by the way <laughs> and the crime you know approaches to crimea and moldova yeah. and and Bazarabia, you know all those seemingly far away countries and uh, so we were fighting for dominance you know in the daniel river system so and the the, the turkish official asked asked me what the heck what the heck has happened to you guys in your old commonwealth that you haven't woken up yet that the world has been changing now and you need to rise to the not only occasion but to the Need because threats are there, and we're going to have war and chaos soon. So, what the heck have you? Why haven't why haven't you started? You know, adopting to it yet? What's what's wrong with you guys? You, you used to have a great strategic culture. You know, we were having wars against each other. You know, we we we, we, we respected you highly. What what's wrong? What's wrong with you? <laughs> so that was this mood. Of course, again. I was a downbeat but you know maybe now we are transitioning turkey is running a, in my personal opinion a, a very ambitious foreign policy of containing russia and even in rolling back russia across the uh, perimeter of the ex former soviet union and in this way the, the turks are running the old Polish, you know, strategy of promethean movement—that's what it's called in Polish. Promethean, promethean policy. So our grand strategy was about ripping the Russia off along the stitches, stitches, yeah, stitches mm-hmm. of the uh, nations at periphery of the Russian Empire, and uh, and what this is what the Turks are doing. So they are doing. They are executing our our old grand strategy now, because they have the ambition, they have capabilities, they have the uh, understanding of this world. And Poles simply believed too long in this strategic slumber, in this end of history, and that European Union and the United States adopted us economically and militarily, and we don't need to take care about our neighborhood ourselves. And this is why I was being lambasted by our my interlocutor <laughs> in the embassy, uh, and now we are again. I hope we are waking up to this new reality. We will see how this how we will endure in it, and how we how we will handle it. But Turkey, I think, is um, is a perennial enemy of Russia. There is no way. This could be the other way around, and uh, but uh, in every in daily life they need to play the balancing game. So if you play the ba- you know you you fight and negotiate at the same time, according to the old saying of Otto von Bismarck, you talk and you fight, you negotiate. It's like a force of forceful <laughs> negotiations, and this is what the Turks are doing daily. Okay, and it's here, here let go and, and push. Uh, military and other, you know, always interactions. So this is what they've been doing, and I think they've been very successful in that. Take a look at, you know, what happened in Armenia and the uh, Karabakh, mm-hmm. also Georgia, uh, Azerbaijan, you know. Uh, so, uh, and not to mention even, you know, the Syria and, and stuff, and the Black Sea, controlled Black Sea by the Turkish the Navy southern black sea and the approaches to the bosphorus so this is this is how i think and maybe if 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 ukraine survives and poland becomes a player so turks will turn to us to talk to talk and this is this is maximum far my imagination reaches at the moment because you know if you try to 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 creep out of under the wardrobe you know from darkness it's so difficult to think about all those angles, you know, all those places are the same, you know. With it's a really a moment in in the history of this region, you know, historic, epic moment. We will see, and it's all sitting on the on the shoulders of those Ukrainians that are have, that have been fighting for four months now and are exhausted, and um, we'll see how it it will play out.
0: Are you optimistic?
1: Hmm. No, I think we, you know, I understand that at the moment you are compelling me to give you the answer. And I cannot be ambiguous, right, Jacob? Well,
0: you can do whatever you want. It's a, it's a free country, as we
1: say. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'll tell you. I think my, ju- my, my, my gut feeling is that we have just entered the, the new Napoleonic era. Mm. uh you know, the era that started with the French Revolution and ended with, uh, with the you know, Treaty of Vienna where there was no uh, set of r- r- rules of you know of the road how you deal with on the European Peninsula. And this is happening now across Eurasia, great powers can't agree on what principles they things operate. And this is just the beginning trade blockades, sanctions, strategic flows, you know, other things, commodities, you see what's going on, leverages, forcible negotiations, uh, killings, terror, campaigns, were campaigns, as during the Napoleonic era, major revolutionary military affairs happening, new ways of using force, new generation warfare, the multiple campaigns of different scale, different kinds, different, you know, different intimidation techniques. I think we are entering the period of major chaos. And, and it will last... Until the moment when the new equilibrium will be reached. This is my feeling. And I think this is just the beginning. And the major showdown will be between the US and China. Because as it was during the Napoleonic era, all showdown was between England and France, actually. All other things were you know the uh, the consequences, yeah, of that. Yeah. So uh and the same is between China and, and, and the US now. And more in Ukraine also is just the symptom of this competition, actually, and the shockwave of the major structural pressure across Eurasia. And Poland is a front state. At the edges of the world, you know, NATO, at the edges of the European Union, at the edges of the world ocean influence, at the edges of the US sea power, We'll see what's going to happen.
0: All right. Yatsik, thank you so much for staying up late with us. I really appreciate it. I hope you'll come back on. We'll probably post this on strategy in future too. Um, we'll pick up where we left off next time with, with the U S China strategic competition. In the meantime, uh, have another beer or some rest or both at the same time we should we should take out of on bismarck and say you should drink and sleep at the same time i don't know
1: cool cool thanks thanks i hope to see you soon you know i really enjoyed it thanks
0: thanks Thank you so much for listening to the Cognitive Dissidence podcast brought to you by Cognitive Investments. If you are interested in learning more about Cognitive Investments, you can check us out online at Cognitive.Investments. That's Cognitive.Investments. Uh, you can also write to me directly if you want at Jacob at Cheers, and we'll see you out there. The views expressed in this commentary are subject to change based on market and other conditions. This podcast may contain certain statements that may be deemed forward-looking statements. Please note that any such statements are not guarantees of any future performance and actual results or developments may differ materially from those projected. Any projections, market outlooks, or estimates are based upon certain assumptions and should not be construed as indicative of actual events that will occur.